Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 46 of The Revenge of Kang. This page actually begins uh, chapter 24, which is the beginning of the next big plot of Kang's that we're going to stop and the next superhero whose history we're going to interfere with. But it also wraps up the Spider-Man storyline. It concludes chapter 23, which began yesterday and is entitled, again, Kang. And in this chapter, our heroes go to the home of Coach Cook, where they have a hot tip. The missing Flash Thompson was last known to be. Flash Thompson is a jerk from high school, Peter Parker's bully, and saving him is not strictly necessary to preserve the timeline or cause there to be a Spider-Man, but it just seems like the right thing to do. You want to tie up loose ends before you go, and anyway, Kang might be there. And remember that we do have to claim all five of Kang's time balls in order to five-dimensionally triangulate the location of Kang Prime or whatever. In every storyline, we got to go fight Kang. This one's no different, so it's off to the coach's house we go. I quote, and this begins on page 45. If the heroes approach the cookhouse and knock or ring the bell, no one answers. The drapes are drawn, so it is impossible to look into the windows of the house, but anyone looking into the windows of the garage notices one of Kang's time capsules parked inside. This is what I mean about Kang being a simple man. Dominion over all of time and space. He's got a time machine, which he could put anywhere, but where does he put it? The garage, because that's where you park things. A complicated man with a simple mind is Kang. Quote, all of the entrances to the cook home are locked, but the heroes can break down the door with an excellent feat or break a window leading into the house with a feeble feat. On behalf of superheroes with feeble strength everywhere, fuck you, author. Was it so important that characters with feeble strength, characters like as strong as Aunt May, have only a 5% rather than a 35% chance to break glass? Are you suggesting to me that if Aunt May started bashing a window, it would take her 20 tries to get through? I mean, do I think that in the 1960s portrayal, Aunt May has the cardio to hit a window 20 times? No, she would go into a coma. But if she could hit it like 10 times, I think she'd get through. I believe in her. I believe in her feeble strength. But no, the author had to jump in just to specifically fuck over superheroes with feeble strength. No, you can't break a window. It would ruin everyone's immersion. Quote, inside the house, the heroes will find the Kang duplicate sitting in the living room, patiently waiting for his scheme to come to fruition. Just sitting on the couch, just chilling out. Got some nice uh, n- nice 1960s decor in the living room here. Coach Cook's house. Whole living room set. Little did they know it would serve as the staging area for a plot to take over the timeline. What a strange tableau here on the eve of battle. So we find uh, Kang in there with his feet up on the ottoman, just... Uh, Maybe having one of the coach's beers and and thinking about what a good job he did manipulating teenage drama to destroy the Age of Heroes. And very unusually, our heroes get the jump on Kang. Unless they rang the bell, it says, or knocked. When they go into the living room, they find Kang off guard and our heroes get to jump him. Each of the Kangs, as we now know, has a gimmick. This Kang's gimmick is that, quote, two rounds after the battle begins, he will press a button on his belt. On the following round, two humanoid battle robots will emerge from Kang's timeship in the garage and join in the battle. The robots will fight until they are destroyed and have the following attributes. I'm going to read you all of these attributes, even though only the last three are interesting. Fighting. Excellent. 
Agility, excellent. Strength, remarkable. Endurance, incredible. Reason, typical. Intuition, typical. Psyche, typical. And body armor and blasters too. But we don't care about that right now because my concern here is not practical, but ethical and, and moral. These battle robots have a reason, an intuition, and a psyche. I quote from page 67 of the Advanced Player's Guide. Non-player robots, things built by player characters, rarely have intuition and psyche abilities, and those that do are considered free-willed individuals. Examples, Ultron, Delphine Courtney, and the original Human Torch. Robots like these, quote, battle robots, which way to pigeonhole these sentient beings. Each of these two battle robots has a personality, an identity, a perspective. These robots are, if not biologically, then philosophically and ethically living beings of intrinsic worth. They are not God's beautiful creations, but Kang's beautiful creations, which is in a sense more impressive if you think about it, because Kang, unlike God, is omnipresent but not omniscient, which means he's busier. So what we've got here in this uh, uh, well-appointed 1960s living room is a, a fist fight where we are expected to defeat and, and subdue and capture Kang the Conqueror, a time-traveling dickhead who knew exactly what he was doing, and we are expected to destroy two newly created sentient beings who did not choose this existence, who are not culpable or perhaps even comprehending of their misdeeds, but whom we are nonetheless expected to beat apart in, into pieces and then high-five over their robot corpses. And what does the all-seeing eye of our karmic judge, the author, say about this? In the aftermath of this chapter, quote, defeating Kang and his androids, plus 20. That means there is a 20 karma reward for destroying two innocent sentient beings. Contrast, please, with the previous page where it says at the end of uh, chapter 22, quote, defeating the bullies, plus five. Okay, we get five karma for beating up bullies, fine. Quote, hurting any of the bullies, minus 15. And, and I think this is very telling, quote, dragging the fight with the bullies out over more than five rounds, minus five. This is the author who stands in judgment of us. By all means, destroy the battle robots. After all, Kang created them and decided that they were only for battle. So why not sever their robot brains from their robot bodies and do a celebratory dance as you stomp their robot chests? Plus 20 karma. Good job, everyone. High fives from the god of this reality. You did the right thing. Meanwhile, back at the dance... If Cub Scout's trying to dance with Jenny Carson and some bullies come up and try to pick a fight, we're being held to, in my mind, a very regressive standard where we have to, number one, defeat the bullies. It's not enough to de-escalate. No, we got to sock them in the jaw or as near as we can reach, given that we are a puppy. We got to knock them out. We got to take them down. But if we hurt them, despite the fact that they are fully responsible moral agents, no one's, no one's pushing them to pick a fight at the dance. I mean, except for all of culture, they're boys in the 1960s, but like all of culture is not here in the room. You could just be cool. They know exactly what they're doing. But if we hurt them, then we take a karma penalty. So, okay, we're supposed to fight them, but we're not supposed to hurt them. But then we take a karma penalty if we can't get the job done in five rounds, which means like a horrible father sending mixed messages. The author is looking over our shoulder like you're supposed to fight the bullies, but don't hurt the bullies. But also not only do you need to fight the bullies, but you need to win and you need to win quick so that I'm not ashamed of you. Otherwise, you lose karma. And fortunately for Ford's Furies, we did all those things. We fought the bullies. We didn't hurt them. We won quick because we're superheroes. And so our horrible father slash author is like, thumbs up. Good job. You handled it exactly the way that culture and 1960s masculinity demand. Get out of here, you scamps. And don't forget to snuff out the burgeoning self-awareness of some robots later. Okay, dad. Anyway, once we've beaten up Kang and killed two thinking beings, 
to the delight and acclaim of the cosmos, we can take a look around. Quote, After the heroes have defeated Kang and his androids, they can search the house and the garage. In Kang's timeship, they'll find a black sphere identical to those they've captured so far. There is no other useful information in the time sphere. And hidden down in the basement of the Cook home, they find the unconscious bodies of Flash Thompson, Coach Cook, and his family. And that's it. We let Flash Thompson loose, no doubt to the delight of Jenny Carson, whose quest to catch them all continues. Uh, We let Cook and his family go back up to enjoy their living room, free of time-traveling interlopers. And we're off to save another superhero from Kang's meddling. Join me next time when we're off to protect the heroic destiny of Daredevil. And unsurprisingly, the author fucks it up. And surprisingly, I come to the rescue on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics, whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.